my name is Rebecca Meidinger. It is wonderful to be here with you today. If you've been following along in our series, we are in another recurring series of the Do You See This Woman series that keeps coming back every once in a while. This time we are looking uh, at three different women. I think I'm going to throw a fourth in for this episode as well. In the past, on in this recurrence of this series, we have taken a look at the woman who was caught in adultery in John chapter 8 and the woman who was bleeding in Mark chapter 5. Last week, I missed a week, so I apologize for that. If you were waiting for the Syrophoenician woman, which we are going to cover tonight, my kids, three of my four kids were diagnosed with pneumonia last week, and so it has just been a crazy week. For the first time in our marriage in 19 years, uh, Paul has been the one this last week to take sick time and stay home with our sick kids because I'm working full time now. And it's just been, and he was wonderful. He's actually a much better sick parent than I am. And he has more empathy than I do and more patience. And so it's been good, but it's been a little crazy around here. So I missed last week, and I'm excited to be here with you tonight. Tonight, I am very excited to talk about the the Syrophoenician woman that Jesus meets, and he heals her daughter. She has tremendously great faith. I think we are also going to look at another unnamed woman who is talked about far less often than the others in the gospel accounts. She is a crippled woman in Luke chapter 13 whose story I find beautiful and intriguing. I just love Jesus, and I love the way that he meets these women right where they are. And even if it upsets those around him, which it does upset those around him, he still meets these women, does not pay any attention to who he is upsetting at the time. He just takes great care of the needs of those who are, who are choosing to put their trust in him, he gives such great love and favor and mercy to them in their time of need. And that is the case of this wonderful woman in the region of Tyre and Sidon. Jesus has left the region of the Galilee probably to get away from all of the religious leaders who have been trying to trick him in Matthew chapter 15. In Matthew chapter 15, Pharisees and teachers of the law from Jerusalem come up to Jesus as he is around the Sea of Galilee. And he had just walked on the water in the in chapter 14. So he, he is up in the region of the Sea of Galilee. And they travel from Jerusalem, which is like a three-day travel, travel if they would be willing to go through Samaria, but they probably were not. Jews never went through Samaria, so they probably would have crossed over to the east side of the Jordan River and gone up north in the Decapolis and then crossed over again to the west side of the Jordan River to see Jesus. And that would have turned this into like a seven-day journey that they went on just for the sole purpose, it seems, of tricking Jesus and trying to make him stumble. So he's going, they're trying to 
trip him up with the law, questions about the law. In this case, it's the situation of washing hands. And they're like, Jesus, why don't your disciples wash their hands the way they're supposed to? And he goes on to teach about how it's not what we put into our body that defiles us, but it's what is in our hearts that really causes a person to be defiled, not whether or not they eat with clean or unclean hands. And right after that, in Matthew chapter 15, verse 25, we see Jesus leaving that place and he is going to go to over to the Mediterranean Sea to the regions of Tyre and Sidon. And those are Canaanite regions, non-Jews. They would be Gentile regions. And it seems like he is maybe needing to get a break from those who are the religious leaders who are constantly trying to trip him up. So he goes outside of this region. And as he's doing so, it's it seems that he has a very clear point that he wants to teach his disciples because he knows that there is going to be opportunities there to minister to Gentiles, to those who have, as the Jews would call it, unclean hands, to those who eat unclean food, to those who do not follow the purity and the cleanliness laws of the Old Testament. And he knows that there's going to be opportunity there to minister to them. And he wants to teach his disciples a lesson. The job of a rabbi was to always teach your disciples a lesson. And everything you're doing, you are teaching, 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 modeling what you want the disciples to know. And in this case, we are going to read a story that is very hard to read if we don't keep in mind the fact that Jesus is teaching. He's always modeling and he's always teaching what he wants his disciples to know and see and do. And this is a great lesson that he is showing them. But if we don't read it in that light, it's going to be very hard for us to read. The story of the Syrophoenician woman is uh, uh, it's been very personal to me for many, many years because in college, I heard a chapel servant, a sermon at chapel at the college I went to preached on this text and the pastor at the end of it, he said, clearly Jesus needed to learn something and this woman was teaching Jesus a lesson. And I was so deeply hurt that that a pastor would say that Jesus needed to learn and that a woman was, I mean, whether it's woman or man, that wasn't the point, but that a human being was going to teach Jesus something. I mean, Jesus is God. He is my savior. And Jesus is the one who is teaching in this text. Jesus is teaching. Jesus didn't need to be taught anything. He is modeling here. And I never went back to chapel at that campus again, actually. I was like, no, that is that is a misrepresentation of Jesus. And so I would like to share with you what I believe is happening in this text that Jesus is teaching, that Jesus is modeling. And I was so encouraged because I know in my last podcast I shared out of Kenneth Bailey's book, Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes. And he writes about this encounter that Jesus has with the Syrophoenician woman. And he says exactly what I have always been looking for someone else to write about, that Jesus is teaching. Jesus is taking the role of rabbi here and he's modeling for his disciples what it means to love and care for the Gentiles, even though they anticipate and they expect him 
to only minister to the people of Israel. So with that, what I would like to do is just read the text and then I will go back and we will discuss it. So I'm going to start at Matthew chapter 15, starting at verse 21, going through verse 28, and I will read in Jesus' name. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him, crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed, and she is suffering terribly. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, Send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. And he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and she knelt down before him, Lord, help me. He replied, Well, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Yes, it is, Lord, she said. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And Jesus said to her, Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. This is the word of the Lord. So I love that at the beginning of this text, it says that Jesus withdrew. And that is what makes it really sound like he just needed to get away from the religious leaders who were constantly trying to trip him up. And he needed to, to get out of that region and into a place where he was lesser known and a place where he could minister without the religious leaders constantly like breathing down his throat, trying to catch him at everything he did. I, th I think that's what he's doing. He says he withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. So over on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea, a Canaanite woman was was there. She, uh, in the text in Mark, the way Mark records it, it says that she is a Greek woman who was born in, the Sy in Syrian Phoenicia, in that region. And... It's really interesting because she is not Jewish, and yet first she calls him Lord, Kyrio, which could be Sir or Master, Lord, but it doesn't mean necessarily Lord of my life or the Lord whom I worship. It's a word like Master. But then right after it, she says Son of David, which is a messianic term that the Jews called, they were they were waiting for the Son of David, the the heir of David who would sit on the throne forever and ever, who would, the Jews believed, who would conquer Rome, who would save Israel from Roman occupation. So son of David is a very Jewish messianic term, and she is not Jewish, but she uses that term. So she's lived in close enough vicinity with Israel, with the Jews, that she understands that the Jews are waiting for their Messiah, and she believes she believes that Jesus is, is him, and he is. Of course he is, but she knows. She knows that Jesus is the son of David. She says, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed, and she is suffering terribly. Now, isn't that really interesting? Because she doesn't necessarily ask right here for healing for her daughter, She's asking for mercy. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Have mercy on me. 
heal my daughter because I am suffering too. My daughter's suffering is causing me to suffer. Have mercy on me and heal my daughter. Very interesting. It says that Jesus didn't answer her a word. Why? Well, I believe and... I was very excited to read in Kenneth Bailey's book that he totally believes that as a rabbi, Jesus is giving his disciples a chance to to learn. So a chance for them to think, what is the right thing to do here? Jesus can heal demon-possessed people. We have seen him do it. Right now we are in Gentile territory. Will he heal this Gentile little girl is he going to heal her and so Jesus does not respond but after a while the disciples are getting kind of frustrated and they're like Jesus send her away she is bothering us she just keeps crying after us and you know are they asking Jesus like hey could you heal her because that's the only way she'll leave us alone They might be implying that because Jesus kind of says another thing to test them a little bit. And he's like, well, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel, certainly giving them opportunity to say, no, Jesus, it's okay. You can heal her. And Kenneth Bailey brings up that they would have been thinking back to Elijah, who healed the Gentile woman's son, even though she was Gentile, They were not Jewish. And Elijah healed her son. So they may have been thinking back like, no, it's actually okay. You can, you can heal her. And so Jesus is giving them opportunity to learn, opportunity to think through, like, was he really only sent for Israel? Or is there a, a larger picture here of who Jesus came to save? What does this mean? The woman is clearly in close proximity to them. She must be like right beside them because she's still begging at Jesus to heal her daughter. And she hears this. And so, so she comes and she kneels right before him. Lord, help me. Lord, help me. And as she's kneeling right before him, Jesus uses a metaphor of dogs or puppies. Now the word he's going to say here is a word that would refer to small house dogs, young puppies. It's not like the wild dogs that roam the streets. However, it's still an insult. So it's maybe not as insulting as if he said like the wild dogs that roam the streets. Instead, he does refer to like a house dog but it's still insulting. He's still referring to her as a dog. He said, but it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Now, Jews often did refer to Gentiles as dogs. It's not acceptable. It's not kind. It's not loving, but it was a common thing that was, it's racism. It's racism, and it was common. It's it's just like it's common today. So they're dealing with a, racism, or a situation of racism here. And Jesus is inviting his disciples to think through, like, is she really, like, are we going to think derogatorily about this dear woman who has an ill daughter? Are we going to see this as a situation where our race is better than hers and that 
the children get the healings and the miracles of the son of David, but not those who are outsiders, not the people that the Jews think are dogs. Are we going to put up with that? Are we, are we okay with this? Is this acceptable in the kingdom of God? So he's certainly giving the disciples an opportunity here to think through their own prejudices. And he's giving us an opportunity to think through our own prejudices. Who am I prejudiced against? Who do I think deserves healing? Who do I think deserves miracles? Who do I think deserves the anointing of God or the mercy of God? And who do I think does not deserve God's mercy? Who do I think is out of reach for God's grace? Who do I think is just not good enough for Jesus to save? So we come face to face with our prejudices right here. But this amazing woman, she is awesome. She responds to Jesus exactly as Jesus wants her to respond because she knows her worth. She knows her value. She knows that even if she is not a child of Abraham, that she is worthy of receiving healing and grace and mercy. That's, she's asking for mercy and she knows that he can give it to her. And so she says, yes, it is, Lord. Like, yes, it is okay for the, for the children's bread to go to the dogs. That's okay. And then she goes on and says, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. She's so humble. She's so amazing because she's not trying to take away from the children of Israel. She's not trying... Uh, to have Jesus spend his energy and his time and his love on her and her daughter. She's like, just give us the crumbs. Like the crumbs of your mercy are big enough to heal my daughter. Isn't that a challenging, challenging thing for us to consider? The crumbs of God's mercy are big enough for me. Just the crumbs. I don't, I don't, necessarily want to take all the mercy from other people. I don't need all of the grace from other people. Just the crumbs, Lord Jesus. Your crumbs are far beyond all that I could ask or imagine. Just your crumbs, Lord Jesus. And then of course, because of her humility, because of her posture of love and kindness and deep, deep faith, he pours out his mercy. Like he wants to give her more than just crumbs. He wants to overflow her with his mercy and his kindness and his, and his grace. He wants to give grace upon grace upon grace upon grace because he's Jesus. And that is what he does. And he is blown away by her faith. He thinks her faith is beautiful and strong and lovely. And I'm sure his disciples were like, whoa, what a response. When, you know, when Jesus is like, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. And she's like, yes, it is, Jesus. <laughs> yes, it is. And it's not that she's teaching him anything. It's that she's responding in the way that his test is setting her up to respond. He's testing her and he's seeing how is she going to respond. Does she know that she is valuable? Does she know that her daughter is valuable? Does she know that I have more than enough to give? Does she know that I want to give an outflow of blessing? And is she going to go for it? Is she going to go for it? And yes, 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 she goes for it. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And Jesus is just, oh, woman, you have great faith. 
Your request is totally granted. Everything you asked for, it's granted. And when she gets home, she finds her daughter completely healed. Completely healed. Grace upon grace. Her daughter is healed at that very moment. It doesn't even seem that her daughter is with her. And yet her daughter is healed at that very moment. Grace upon grace. And what a lesson for the disciples. That this Syrophoenician woman who is not Jewish calls Jesus son of David. She calls him the messianic title that he deserves. He is the son of David. He will reign on the throne of David forever and ever. He is the king that they have been waiting for, the Messiah, the Savior that they have been waiting for that has been prophesied. And she knows she's not Jewish, but she knows. She knows. And she goes for it. She goes for it. She passes Jesus' test with flying colors. And he is deeply pleased in her. I want to be like this dear, bold, beautiful, passionate woman. And I want to come face to face with Jesus' questions about my own prejudices. You know, when Jesus said to his disciples, well, wasn't I sent to, the, to save only the lost sheep of Israel? That's a prejudice that I need to face. When Jesus asks me, well, Rebecca, do you think my mercy is too good for other people? Do you think there's some people who don't measure up to what, who deserves my mercy, who deserves my grace? What prejudices is Jesus bringing to the forefront in my life through this text? Who around me is like the Syrophoenician woman who I might think, mm, I think she's on the outside. And Jesus is like, oh no, oh no, she is definitely on the inside. Are you going to let her in? Because she deserves to be. She is part of the family of God. Are you willing to see that? So let's let this text bring up our own prejudices and our own feelings of superiority. Let it, let, us, let it bring them to the light for us and let us deal with them the way Jesus wants his disciples to deal with their own prejudices in this text. We're going to flip the Gospels over to the Gospel of Luke now and look at another dear woman whose name we do not know, one who didn't even ask for help. She didn't ask for help. She's so bold. She's so brave. She's so humble. She is not even asking for help. She is in the same place as Jesus, and she does not seem to ask him for help. And Jesus is going to heal her in front of religious leaders for the sake of teaching those religious leaders a lesson. Jesus is all about teaching lessons. And in the meantime, he is setting people free over and over and over again. And then when people get mad that people are being set free, he's teaching a lesson. A lesson that I have come to set people free. Who are you to be mad about it? Who are you to be mad about it? So very similar question that we were faced with in our last text. So this is Luke chapter 13, a lesser known story, so beautiful. I will read in Jesus' name, starting at verse 10. 
On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and she could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up, and she praised God, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. The synagogue leader said to the people, There's six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not the Sabbath. The Lord answered him, You hypocrites! Don't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox and donkey from the stall and lead it out to give water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? When he said this, all his opponents were humiliated. But the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. This is the word of the Lord. Jesus is up in the Galilee, in the region surrounding the Sea of Galilee. He is in a synagogue. He is teaching. It is the Sabbath day, and there is a dear woman there. Now, this dear woman surely knows that Jesus could heal her. Perhaps it's the first time they have been in the same area, in the same synagogue. And she certainly knows that he could heal her, but probably because it is the Sabbath, she doesn't ask for it. She's so humble. She's so loyal to the law of God. She's so admirable. I want to be like her. She has been living in pain for 18 years. And we learn that it's a spirit from Satan that has caused this. So I'm not sure if she's also living with uh, like demons living inside of her or if Satan sent just a crippling spirit upon her without indwelling demons. That seems like that's probably the case. But talk about tremendous pain. For 18 years, I mean, think about how that would limit what she can do and what she can how she can take care of her family, whether or not she can hug her kids or was she able to have children, you know, was she was she married and had kids prior to this happening? And if so, then after this happened, was she able to take care of her children anymore? I mean, bent over at the waist. You couldn't go for water. You couldn't cook. You couldn't, you know, if she had babies, it would have been very, very difficult to nurse babies. Um, if she had never gotten married, then she couldn't have served in the community the way that she would have normally been able to serve in the community. It would have been much, much harder to work in any capacity. Just extraordinarily difficult. And then the pain, the physical pain must have been overwhelming. For 18 years bent over, she could not straighten up at all. And Jesus just calls her over. He just calls to her. And oh my goodness, I wonder if when he called her, if she was nervous to go because it's the Sabbath day. Like she knows he's going to heal her at this point. 
and it's the Sabbath day. And is she going to get in trouble? Is she going to get kicked out of the synagogue? Because when Jesus healed the blind man, now whether or not that had already happened, I'm not sure. But when Jesus healed that blind man, the blind man got kicked out of the synagogue for putting his trust in Jesus. So is she going to get kicked out of the synagogue? I don't know. So she might have been terrified. And it's the Sabbath day. So she goes over to him. And it doesn't even say he put her hands, his hands on her first. He just speaks to her. He speaks her into healing. Woman, you are set free. You are set free. And then he lays his hands on her. And immediately she was able to straighten her body up. I mean, imagine like this instantaneous healing of all the muscles that had weakened and atrophied over the last 18 years. They're just instantly healed. The bones are strong. She stands up like the core muscles it takes to stand up. Like everything in her body is just instantly strengthened. And she begins praising God. And as this is happening, other people in the synagogue get angry. Probably just like Jesus probably made people angry in Tyree and Sidon when he healed the woman who was a Gentile. He's making people angry and showing people their extremely shallow prejudices and and their unmerciful ways towards people. So he shows the synagogue leaders in this sense or in this situation, he shows them their extreme unmerciful ways toward this dear hurting woman. He's like, you guys carry, care so much more about your ox and your donkeys than you do this dear, dear woman. And if you're so concerned about who I heal and who I don't heal, you know, she is a daughter of Abraham. Doesn't she deserve healing? Although we know for sure that Jesus, Jesus completely would heal somebody, whether or not they are in the lineage of Abraham. For sure, he has shown us that. But he's just telling the religious leaders, like, this dear woman is one of you and you care more for your donkey? Are you kidding me? And they're humiliated. They're ashamed because he shows them you have a lack of mercy. You have a lack of kindness and care and empathy for human beings who need healing, human beings who need grace and kindness and love and compassion and to be set free from the work of Satan that has been bounding them. They need to be set free and you are so worked up and caught up in your laws that you can't even make space for people. And they're humiliated because Jesus again brings them face to face with their prejudices, with their very limited ideas of what is right and what is wrong, with who is their limited ideas of who is worthy and who is not, with their limited ideas of how far should the love of God go? How far should the love of God go? It brings us face to face with questions like, how far am I comfortable with the love of God reaching? How far am I comfortable with God's loving hand reaching out to save people? Do I think there should be limits on how far God reaches his hand to save people? And where are those limits that I put on that? 
And here's the deal. Jesus is going to knock every one of those limits down. There, there are no limits on his love. His love is unfathomable, boundless. His love is so much bigger than my capacity to deal or wrap my mind around it. And he brings me face to face with that. And he's like, Rebecca, stop putting bounds on my love. Stop putting bounds on my mercy. Be merciful, for I am merciful. Thank you, thank you, Jesus, for teaching us what it means to be merciful, for teaching us what it means to not have any bounds on your love. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Well, speaking of not having any bounds on the love of God, I am very excited for the next series on this podcast. I have been thinking about Jonah for months. I am in this year again in 2023, I've been doing my chronological Bible study year through the Bible again, which I've done a couple of times. And so I don't remember when it was like earlier this summer that chronologically going through the Bible, I came across Jonah and read Jonah in my daily Bible reading time. And I've read Jonah tons of times, but this time I just got captivated by it. I was in the middle of podcasting on the series on Paul, and then when my daughter had requested that when I got done with Paul that I do some more weeks on women in the Bible, which was so cool that my daughter requested that, so I wanted to revisit that series, and now I've been thinking about Jonah, can't get him out of my mind for months now, and I'm very excited to podcast on Jonah. I didn't ever think that I would podcast on Jonah, but I can't get him out of my heart and my mind. And I'm just, I've just been so, my heart has been so caught by the message of God to go and save the Ninevites. In the Old Testament, we see the gospel that Jesus came to save the whole earth, that God's heart was to save the whole earth. All people, Gentile and Jew, slave and free, male, female, all people. God's heart from the very beginning was to save every person. And even in the Old Testament, we see Jonah being sent far away to a sinful people who did not know God. To bring them a message of salvation. To bring them the gospel. And... I'm just, my heart is just captured by it and how Jonah is pointing us to Jesus. And so I'm very excited to spend four weeks in Jonah and I hope that you will join me beginning uh, in approximately a week. So thanks for being here. I hope you have a great night. See you next time.